Welcome to Lawyers Who Care, the video show podcast that highlights attorneys who go above and beyond for their clients. And on each episode, we will meet a new lawyer and they will share stories about where they went above and beyond legal counsel for the benefit of their client. My name is Andrew Samelin. I am the principal of Samelin Wealth, a nationally recognized wealth management firm for lawyers, law firms, and their clients. And let's applaud lawyers who care and learn from them. Uh, today, my guest is Syed Sean Bakari. Uh, he is an attorney with the United States Postal Service focusing on employment law. Uh, welcome, Sean. Hi. Well, thank you very much for having me on. So, Sean, this is very, very interesting because uh, generally speaking, we have attorneys who are in private practice. They are at, uh, you know, top 100 firms to sole practitioners and everything along the uh, everything in the middle. And today is the first time I've ever had anyone from a federal uh, agency uh, called the United States Postal Service and appreciating some of the limitations uh, that uh, that might put on some of our discussions today. I, uh, I, uh, I welcome you and I can't wait to uh, have this podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, I was a private litigator, um, you know, for about a decade or so uh, before I joined the Postal Service last year. And so, you know, I certainly am familiar with that world that where most of your guests are from and, you know, traditional litigation and all that. So now that I'm a govy, I guess I have a little bit more of a different perspective on things. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, that can make for some entertaining discussion. <laughs> So, by the way, and appreciating some of the limitations uh, of, of what you can chat about, can you just speak about the size and the scope of the post office? Again, my, just so you know my bias, huge fan of the Postal Service. I am yeah. still shocked. I am absolutely shocked on how you can move a letter from New York to California in like a day or two for 60 cents. It is simply beyond me on how you could do that. It's You want to talk about like size and depth, it's like um... – a little incomprehensible when you're, especially when you're on the inside, you know, like kind of looking out, um, you know, I mean, we have a fantastic set of employees, you know, I mean, so it's just, um, we managed to, I mean, it's an extremely complicated operation. I mean, there, there are all sorts of levels to this that I, you know, like I, obviously I'm, you know, sort of restricted in what I can talk about. But even if I was fully, you know, free to talk about it, it's just so huge, such such huge in scope, so huge in scope that like I don't even think I would be able to adequately describe it. It's enormous. It's enormous. It's a big machine, and it surprisingly runs well. You know, yes. so. Yeah. Well, thank you for the service that you provide to everyone. And it's just fascinating. And I, I want to get to your story, but how they are responsible for the going to a single house in some mountain in Appalachia or in a rural area of uh, Louisiana out to a farm in Texas to someplace in uh, uh, Santa Fe and just get it done. It's, it's just shocking to me how you do it. Every day. It is. It is to me, too. You know, I mean, and, you know, like I said, like just me sitting in a lawyer position, uh, you know, it's, you know, e even I can't even like comprehend how smoothly that goes. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it truly is impressive. And it's been, you know, the Postal Service is, I think, uh, the oldest agency of the United States. So, I mean. There, uh, you know, I mean, that just goes to show how long we've been at it. So, yeah, it's it's terrific. You know, it, it's terrific. 
And you were in private practice for a decade prior. What made you want to become an attorney and what made you focus on uh, employment law? Well, you know, so like I actually came into private practice through employment law. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, throughout law school, I had a human rights focus. Um, you know, I, I uh, did human rights clinics. I uh, worked with a human uh, rights litigation nonprofit for a little bit. And then um, that led me into civil rights and employment discrimination. So I worked with the EEOC for a little bit coming out of law school. Uh, and then I did private practice afterwards. Uh, yeah, for about 10 years. And, um, you know, so I transitioned from basically the EOC to uh, a small firm downtown Baltimore that concentrated uh, like 99% of its practice and employment discrimination for plaintiffs, representing plaintiffs. So uh, I did that for about three years. And then I transitioned to a firm in Columbia, Maryland, where that concentrated primarily in small business litigation, commercial litigation, but I still uh, did employment law. Uh, while while at that firm, I still uh, brought in some employment law clients and things like that. So I kept uh, sort of my foot in the door of employment law, um, you know, throughout uh, my uh, time in private practice. And um, that sort of brought me you know, I heard that the Postal Service was having uh, an opening in labor law for, in their labor law group in the uh, law department for the Postal Service. Uh, and I just thought it would be exciting to sort of, you know, take w what I knew through employment law and traditional litigation and expand my scope to the world of unions and grievances and, um, you know, uh, things of that nature. So it's been an exciting ride so far. And, uh, you know, like many lawyers who, you know, probably like 90% of the lawyers that you've interviewed, they could not have imagined that their career would have taken them down this path when they first started out, when they, when they started applying for law school, like they, you know, usually have one thing in mind and the next thing, you know, they're doing something completely different. And, you know, that's kind of like where it took me, although it's still, you know, my career still stems from that, um, idea that I wanted to be, be involved in, you know, it turned from human rights, civil rights to, you know, uh, workplace rights now, essentially. So it's always had that thread. Got it. Mm -hmm. Sean, tell us about the story that, uh, I, I, you shared with me a little bit when we were chatting sure. before, uh, go for it. Well, you know, like I said, um, you know, I started out my, uh, my law life, I guess, uh, involved in human rights. Um, and so I had a wonderful opportunity to, uh, to work with a human rights nonprofit in DC. They were called, uh, I don't think it's exists any longer, but it was called world organization for human rights USA. Um, and they focused on actually federal litigation in the United States for human rights violations. And, 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 uh, that, that involved like, you know, for example, um, foreign human rights abusers let's say you know they're there we've been involved in litigations against you know for uh, for example the leader uh, uh, one of the uh uh leader for i think it was the democratic republic of congo um okay. and oh, actually i didn't know sorry i did that one actually after I, I joined the employment discriminations uh 
practice and somehow ended up with a human rights lawsuit against uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is another story. But uh, and and getting back to um, World Organization for Human Rights USA, you know, we were involved in uh, human trafficking cases and also uh, cases involving, unfortunately, the United States government and the military. And um, that's what this story involves. Uh, We had a client um, who, uh, you you know, obviously this is not his name, but uh, we'll call Abdul. Okay. He was Iranian. He was part of a group called the MEK, which is called Mujahideen al-Kalk. I'm sure I kind of butchered that, but it's, again, one of those instances where it depends if you view such a group as freedom fighters or a terrorist group, right? Uh, What we do know is that they have received on and off support from the United States government. Uh, They have, uh, and they've also received on and off support from Saddam Hussein as well. Uh, so there were uh, they basically fought against the Iranian government. They, uh, you know, the Iranian government, obviously the one we know, which is the Shiite uh, cleric-led government. And so our client, you know, he he was involved in this group, and uh, after a while, he became a refugee in Iraq. Um, and when the United States invaded Iraq in 2003, they took over this refugee camp, and obviously they took over the refugees who were there. Uh, uh, Abdul, being a refugee who was already there at the uh, at the camp as a refugee, uh, the United States uh, soldiers who liberated the camp, they explicitly recognized his refugee status and the fact that he's protected under international law as a refugee. Right, so he has the rights you know, under the uh, 1951 Refugee Convention, um, as well as a a whole host of international uh, legally guaranteed rights. Well, unfortunately, things went south for Abdul pretty quickly. He kind of uh, went uh, on the outs with the MEK there. He also started protesting the, the poor conditions, the poor sanitary conditions at this camp. And the next thing you know, he was being beaten. He was being detained arbitrarily by U.S. soldiers and perhaps some other um, uh, foreign soldiers there from uh, European countries. He's not quite sure who else was there. Uh, You know, uh, pretty horrific treatment. He tried to call his brother from there and his brother was on the line and the brother hears him being ripped away from the phone, kicking and screaming. Next thing you know, the uh, the the U.S. troops they ghosted him to Abu Ghraib, and this was in 2006. This was after the 2003 pictures and images of Abu Ghraib de- detainees being, you know, we've all seen the horrible images. Anybody who was, you know, uh, you know, of age back in 2003, 2004, right? We all know what that's about. Well, this was afterwards. This was after things were supposedly toned down at, at Abu Ghraib in around 2006, I think. He was brought there. He was uh, beaten. He was kept in a, a tiny, you know, tiny cell. Uh, he had sewage running through his cell. He was. He and other inmates were put in a uh, 
put in a chair in an extremely hot room for hours with the sunlight beating down on them in in the desert. Uh, they called it the torture chair. They, um, you know, just horrible things. He was anally probed against his so will. How he you, was, um, so how did you? Yeah. Uh, so he he eventually involved? made his way to uh, Turkey and then Switzerland as a refugee, and that part of the story was never really clear to me how that happened. But apparently, that's fairly common for people in his situation, right? Uh, he uh, before I you know, but before that, he was all he was uh, put he was released from Abu Ghraib, put back in the camp, and then put back in Abu Ghraib again a couple more times, and then eventually he was released, and then. Uh, it's not clear exactly how that happened, you know, but he, the point being, he found his way in Switzerland as a refugee. Mm -hmm. So at the time, this was now roughly 2011. When we came into contact with him, he contacted our nonprofit. He, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how he did it, but the nonprofit has a network, you know, human rights network, you know, we're, we were affiliated with groups on the ground in Europe and so on and so forth. And he wanted to bring a claim against the United States government. And, you know, like many uh, people who have had their civil rights violated or human rights, he wasn't seeking any monetary damages. He just said, one dollar is fine. I just want recognition of what happened to me, you know. Uh, so, you know, we actually talked with him uh, numerous times uh, through a very... Um, uh, uh, early version of Skype, you know, uh, you know, and I, it was uh, surreal being able to see him. We got to see his emotions, his reactions, just, you know, how he, uh, you know, tried to compose himself as he was telling a story. Um, and we, you know, we had to talk with a number of, so get, this is kind of getting the part about the above and beyond. Um, <laughs> You know, we had to talk, of course, to a number of experts in the field of, you know, how are these, um, uh, you know, how ghosting worked, uh, how, you know, the detainee practices in Iraq work, how, what the MEK was even about. Um, you know, we had to, you know, we had to uh, talk to a number of people about how the military process these things. So how does this uh, involve military justice? So I uh, had a chance, a chance to learn a little bit about that. But you, uh, you'll forgive me. And what did you get out of this case as we conclude? <laughs> what did we get out of this case? Well, the big, yeah, the big thing is, the, the, the big thing is, is that, you know, these claims that we hear in the news, there's, they're so complicated. There's so much more to this than meets the eye. Often we see this in terms of the war on terror and, uh, you know, due process, things like that. But there is such a big human side to this story. One of the big things we do is that we had to track down his brother because his brother was a witness. And luckily for us, he was uh, a shop owner in Georgetown. So, you know, we, we finally tracked him down. We figured out where his bookstore was. We, you know, we took the bus out there and we interviewed this guy for a, for a couple hours. And it was just surreal, like, you know, him describing what it was like when he was on the, on the phone, when he heard his brother being dragged away, you know, and screaming, uh, you know, the efforts he tried to make um, to, to track his brother down. He tried to communicate with the U.S. high command in Iraq. Uh, he, you know, I mean, he was basically trying to find out what happened to his brother because he didn't hear from him 
for a long time, you know, while he was in Abu Ghraib. And the, yeah, the other thing too, is that what, what people have to understand is that if, if there's anybody out there who's listening to, uh, you know, how to rep- represent victims of human rights uh, abuses, the road to justice is very complicated and long. I mean, like, for, you know, we at, at the end found out that he would not have, our client Abdul would not have jurisdiction to bring a claim in the United States federal courts. There's a, a very infamous case about this called Inre, um, uh Afghan detainees, I think it was called. Yeah, so and it was a district, federal district court case. Uh, so if, you, if, you, if anybody wants to look it up, very harrowing details, but it describes how to bring a tort claim, you know, um, in the United States federal court, really, you know, detainees and during the war on terror couldn't do that, right? Would, uh, they did not have that sort of jurisdictional privilege. Okay, so it's not like filing a Bivens claim if you're, you know, for a civil rights claim under the Constitution. So, uh, you, it's eventually what we ended up having to do is we had to uh, 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 file an appeal with um, uh, the Organization of American States. Okay, so the United States is a member of that. But again, in terms of relief, it's hard to see how, you know, how that would be satisfactory, but it's something we could do, unfortunately, other than public advocacy through the media and things of that nature. Sure. Sean, thank you. By the way, I'd, I'd like to keep going. I just know that, uh, you know, your time is limited as are these podcasts. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Just so everyone knows, today our very special guest is uh, Syed Sean Bakari. He's an attorney with the United States Postal Service. He focuses on employment law. And uh, it's funny, Sean, normally I ask for folks, uh, you know, to offer their phone number and the web address. Uh, but uh, that may not be appropriate here, but I'd like to thank you for uh, joining us today. Uh, this has been the Lawyers Who Care video show podcast uh, where we highlight attorneys who go above and beyond, and uh, uh, Attorney Bakari is a fine example of that. Sean, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time and for inviting me on. It was a great pleasure of mine.